are you using one of these stupid watches? <laughs> Come on. Yes, you I, are. I, you know you I, are. Okay, there you are. So let me tell you something. Those watches <laughs> cannot detect deep sleep. Welcome to the 8020 Endurance Podcast. This is your co-host, Hannah Hunstead, and it is a solo intro today. Matt could not be with us, so it's just me out here. Strap in, everyone. On today's episode, we have Yale University sleep experts, Linnell Schneeberg and Dr. Krieger, both outstandingly intelligent people who love sleep. They love talking about sleep. And boy, was I excited. I came in with a boatload of personal questions and an even bigger boatload, I don't know, like a cruise ship load of listener questions. So thank you if you submitted those. I hope that we got to your question in this 45-minute conversation. We do also talk about Inside Tracker, and I want to give them a shout out as our presenting sponsor, but also just as something that really improved my life. And I'm not just saying that. Bear with me here. How many of you go to the grocery store and just purchase a multivitamin, throw it in the cart, get home, pop it in, boom, bang, bing, you're done for the day? Okay, have you looked at what's in that? Do you know what you need? Maybe you need more of something. Maybe you need less of something. Inside Tracker is going to tell you that. So apart from sleep, how can we improve our sleep? How can we be a better athlete? How can we just improve our life overall? Inside Tracker and this episode is going to help you get there. Enjoy today's conversation and I'll chat with you on the back end. Linnell Schneeberg and Mayor Krieger, welcome to 8020 Endurance, the podcast that's 80% well rested and 20% I'll try to catch up over the weekend. Welcome. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This is probably not your usual thing. I mean, you get to talk about your expertise, which is sleep, but it's for an audience of endurance athletes. Obviously, sleep is important for everyone you know but endurance athletes as you'll find from some of our listener questions have you know their own unique sleep problems sleep concerns sleep questions but i'd like to begin just by having you dr schneeberg tell us how you and i met and how you ended up on this podcast sure so matt and i have the same literary agent and she was has been in business a solo business now for 25 years and she had a wonderful party in new york to celebrate that and to you know let her authors meet each other and that's how matt and i met it was a really great night yes i must have been talking about long covid when we were introduced as i almost always am that perhaps led us to the topic of sleep and then your invitation to be here today that's exactly right <laughs> yes and matt told told me briefly about it too after he had met you and sleep has been like number one for me recently on, on things that i'm kind of tracking and trying to improve outside of training that i can help make my performance better so i was super stoked when he told me that you guys were going to be on here because i have many a question that's great we love to talk about sleep <laughs> <laughs> well let's dive in hannah do you want to ask one of your burning personal sleep questions first or a listener question? So a lot of the listener questions are similar to my own questions. So I'm going to go with theirs and then maybe piggyback off of your answer to, to get it a bit more in depth. But this first one was really interesting to me. They're asking about the best setup for your sleep space. So either your bedroom or your 
whatever space that you're sleeping in. And then specifically, do things like cell phones actually disrupt your sleep by being close by? So what's the best way? And I'm in a studio. We're on video chat right now. So my bed is like literally right there. <laughs> so <laughs> I have one room and I need to nail it. So <laughs> please let me know how I can improve. Sure. So I'll talk about a few aspects and then Dr. Cricker, you can jump in. Does that sound good? Sure. So of course you, we love it to be dark and quiet and cool. Those are the hallmarks, really. People sleep better in a cool room, and you can have blackout curtains or not. It depends sort of on the weather. It depends on, you know, the season and where you live and all that. So those are nice but not essential. And then we want it to be quiet, right? And so whenever we see people have sleep issues, we ask a lot of questions about the sleep environment because it is so important, right? Do you have a partner that snores? Do you have children that come and wake you? There's a lot of things that we really like to focus on in terms of your environment, not just the person themselves. And then we want to make sure that your phones and your devices are really not so nearby you when you're going to sleep because we all know they're really hard to stop using and they have notifications that can, you know, arouse you from just about to fall asleep and then you hear a little sound from your phone and that's going to kind of blow it, right? And they're really uh, tempting to not put down in time to get a good night's sleep. So we do like it if they're left to charge elsewhere outside the bedroom. Got it. So going off of that, what's, I guess, the best way to then wake up? Because I rely horribly on my phone to wake me up. Right. Right. Um, You, You know what? You shouldn't rely on anything to wake you up. Because that's, that's the number one thing is get rid of your alarm clock. Because if you need, absolutely need an alarm clock to get up, you're not getting enough sleep. And if you absolutely need to have a cup of coffee or, or you know, one of these energy drinks when you get up, you're not getting enough sleep. So th- that's something you could tell your listeners is get rid of those things. I don't know. Do you agree with that, Linnell? I 100% agree with that, right? Because spontaneous waking shows that you're getting enough sleep every night. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't have some kind of way to make sure that a time on the clock doesn't pass and you get in trouble, right? But the old fashioned alarm clock does that just fine. And you could set it for just a little past the time that you absolutely have to get up, you know, but he's Mm -hmm. so right. If you're well slept, you don't really need much of an alarm. Good sleepers will tell you, they just wake up around the same time every day. Yeah. So the, the other thing about good sleepers, and this is especially true for athletes, is that if you don't have a sleep problem, you can sleep anywhere. You can sleep in a base camp on Everest. You can sleep in Colorado on one, one of the peaks. You can sleep in an oxygen-enhanced sort of chamber. You can sleep absolutely anywhere. But if someone has trouble sleeping, that's when we need to pay a lot of attention to the environment, whether the person is in a cocoon that facilitates sleeping. But Hannah, my guess is that you don't have a problem with sleep, or, or do you? Well, this is, this is getting into my, my own therapy session here. I, I don't think that I do. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out that I do. I do normally wake up around the same time, and I, I do use my phone as kind of like a backstop. Yeah. But... I would say it's like 50-50 that it's a backstop and then it's a natural wake up for me. But other than that, I don't have a problem yeah. sleeping. So, so w- one of the things I, I like to tell people, especially if they're going to compete very early in the morning, 
is do not eat anything spicy the night before. I can remember a colleague of mine, we were at a convention in New Orleans, and we had a wonderful dinner where every single dish was super spicy. He ate to the point where things were sort of rolling off of his head. And, and he was supposed to, the next morning, he was enrolled to run one of these races at this meeting. He couldn't fall asleep that night. I couldn't fall asleep either. I wasn't going to go and exercise. And he missed the race. He never got Ooh. there. He, oh, he fell asleep really late, missed it, and he was humiliated because he was hoping to win some sort of a medal. Oh, man. Spicy foods. Yeah. Well, to, to go off of that comment, like things to do right before a big race day, we had another question, and I'm really interested in this too. And Matt, your input it would be great. Let me find it on the list here. The night before a race, my coach told me that I will not get a good night of sleep. Or how beneficial is it to get a better night of sleep two days before my event? Or does it not matter? I always tell the people I work with, whether they're athletes or whether they're taking any, the SAT exam on a Saturday morning or whatever, the night of sleep that matters most is, is exactly right, two nights before, right? Because we've all done an all-nighter by accident, and you can get through the next day. But you have a nice night of sleep in the bank from, say, Thursday night for a Saturday morning race. That's important and great. Of course, it's wonderful if you sleep the night before well. But it sort of helps to get over the mental, you know, block, knowing that you had a good night two nights before. Yeah, so related to what you, you just said, Hannah, people that are competitive athletes, for example, let's say people are at the Olympics, very often they have to change their schedule to something very different than what they are used to. For example, in swimming, you could have the preliminary events might be in the morning, but the finals will be in the afternoon of that same day. So really good athletes, and I've spoken to some like Katie Ledecky about this, they actually learn how and when they need to take naps and how to change their sleep so that they're optimal when they're actually competing. And world-class athletes, they, they know their sleep. They know how to manage it. Maybe that's why they got there. And I think some people think naps are bad guys, you know, and naps are often really helpful and really restorative. You know, proper napping is great and useful. Yeah, interested to hear more about naps. We did have a few questions about that. Is that something that you need to practice like you were saying Katie Ledecky you know every day that that's her life is swimming so I'm sure almost every day she's waking up swimming once taking a nap in the afternoon but for the average nine to fiver endurance athlete that you know does a few marathons a year probably doesn't have the luxury to nap during the day so like is six hours of sleep with a two-hour nap better than eight hours of sleep we're both yeah. shaking our heads <laughs> <laughs> No, you want your bulk of your sleep to happen at night and more of a power nap is what I think Dr. Krieger and I are, are referring to, a shorter mm -hmm. restorative nap that doesn't feel like part of your sleep cycle, which is a little bit confusing to the body if your nap is too long. Got it. Yeah, so what's like the ideal nap time? And that takes practice too, right? Just hopping into a nap and getting right into the deep sleep part that, that you can't really just Hold do it. that. You, you don't want to go into deep sleep in a nap. You oh. do not want to go into deep sleep. 
And, and one of the reasons is, is that with deep sleep, if you wake up from deep sleep, there's a phenomenon that's, that's sleep inertia. In other words, you actually wake up drowsy, you wake up not in great shape, and you need to learn how long you can nap before you get into that state. And a very long nap is not, is not a good idea. Now, having said that, there are many world-class athletes who, you know, one of the questions, you, you just asked the question, how long should a nap be? Another question is, how long should your nighttime sleep be? A lot of world-class athletes will sleep 10, 11, 12 hours a night. They learn how to sleep and they learn what they need. Out of those hours though, okay, so debunk my myth because I am under the impression that deep sleep is, that is the only metric that I should be looking at to try and evaluate quality sleep. Is that so wrong? So are you using one of these stupid watches? <laughs> Come on. Yes, you I, are. I, you know you I, are. Okay, there you are. So let me tell you something. Those watches <laughs> cannot detect deep sleep. There's no way they can. There's you no way the that they can. No, That's no, 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 oh. no, no. They, <laughs> they, they do not do that. You know, as they may advertise that they do, but the only way... Deep sleep, we measure by looking at brain waves in a laboratory, and, and we need to measure brain waves because there's no other reliable way to measure whether someone has deep sleep. So, Even the uh, CEO of Fitbit will tell you that the only gold standard is an in-lab sleep study. So then what metric are these companies using to try and track the different Movement stages and of heart sleep? Rate. Yeah. Mm. All they have to work with really is movement and heart rate. And that's not enough to know. So should I just never even look at that? <laughs> it's <better>. You know, <laughs> I think it's better you could to say have, yes. I think it's really better to have great habits. So what those watches are good for, for me, and I, I, I use that data with my patients all the time. Do your bedtimes vary too much? Do your rise times vary too much? Right? Are you awake a long time in the night? We, there's something we measure called sleep efficiency. How much time are you in the bed versus how much time are you asleep? And again, how variable is your sleep schedule? And for me, as Dr. Krieger was saying, figure out how much sleep you need is important to wake up spontaneously and keeping your bedtimes and rise times really consistent seven days a week, not catching up on the weekend. So I, I came across a study recently that I found kind of interesting and I wanted to get your take on it. It's It was a case study just involving one, and this was a, an elite runner preparing for one of these um, multi-day ultra marathons where sleep deprivation is part of the competition. And so they wanted to see if training the athlete in sleep deprivation would help them tolerate it. Now you have to understand, like, I get it. It's crazy. Like, but, but if you're going to do this anyway, is there like sort of like a physiological rationale for just, you know, in a, in a sort of measured way to introduce, you know, in a, you know, sleep deprivation into the training process so that it's at least less unfamiliar when you're in competition and, and you have to deal with it? Well, what you're talking about here is, is, the concept of sleep hacking, right? And I remember a few years ago, I, I was attending a lecture where the, the lecturer was talking about sleep hacking and how he had hacked his own sleep <laughs> so that he only slept for four hours out of 24. 
and because he wanted to be super productive the rest of, of, of the time. And he worked for one of the big social media companies, and he was, a, he was a fairly big executive. His wife happened to be in the audience sitting next to me. And I asked her, what is he like? And she said, she said he's horrible, he's irritable, he's irritable when he's hacking his sleep. That's right. He's, oh, he, he's irritable when he's hacking his sleep. So you have to make sure that if you start to putz around with your sleep schedule, that you don't start to have problems with your brain, that you become irritable, moody, and, and that there aren't other things going on that you may regret. And would you also agree it's better not to ever try to limit your sleep to less than about six hours? I don't yeah. mean in the long term. I mean in the short term, right? Yeah. The five days you're talking about, Matt. You could get by uh, um, with a six-hour window for a few days. Do you? Would you agree with that, Doctor Krieger? You get, yeah, you get yeah. most of your deep sleep and a couple cycles of dream sleep yeah, within that yeah. window. So, so the the other thing to keep in mind is if somebody is training for long, let's say one or two weeks, and is only sleeping, let's say six hours a night or or five hours a night, that there's an accumulation of what we call sleep debt. And the person after between after about five or six or seven days actually becomes impaired. They get to the point where they're as impaired, at least if we measure reaction time and stuff like that, as though they had not slept at all. So and as so, though they'd been drinking, right? Or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where. You just, that's how we torture people, right? We torture yeah. people by sleep. Good point. <laughs> so yeah. we never want anybody to seek that out in terms of trying to be more productive or have more hours in their day. It doesn't pay off. It just doesn't. So to that point, how do you measure kind of your ideal time that you should be sleeping? Especially because, you know, now my watch data means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> is ah, it right. just qualitatively like oh i wake up and i felt so much better i went to bed at this time got up at this time there you go there 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 you go everybody kind of knows how much sleep they actually need and sometimes just losing 15 minutes or a half an hour let's say you have to wake up early to catch an airplane or something you feel really sleepy having missed a very short amount of of sleep so people really know, I know how much sleep I need, and you probably know how much sleep you need. And it doesn't matter what the watch tells you, it's what you feel like when you get up. And I think that's the key. I agree. And there's no one size fits all. You know, so yeah. if I think about sleep on a bell curve, right? So if you look at a bell curve, a few people need five, a few people need nine, most people need six, seven, or eight. That's my experience. And so what I tend to do when I work with people to optimize their sleep is put them in bed for eight hours, in bed for eight hours, with a way to relax and to sleep with a book or a puzzle or whatever they want to do, and then track their sleep for a couple of weeks with an eight-hour allotment, so to speak. Can I call it that, right? An allotment. And then if they're awake about an hour, you know, and over a two-week span, they see, wow, I'm awake about an hour out of that eight hours. You're probably more of a seven-hour person. Right. If you're really trying to figure it out, you would a lot a little more and figure out what's my real number. 
And most people come in, a lot of people come in around the seven hour mark, not the eight hour mark, I find. Mm -hmm. But it's that allotted time. It's the time in bed. Yes, time in bed. And you might need a little less time in bed after you've tracked it a while. There are people who are in bed too much. And if you're in bed too much, then you're signing up for wake time, which most people don't like, especially if it comes in the middle of the night, right? People hate to be awake for an hour in the middle of the night. So you'll start to figure out what your window, we call it a sleep window, what it should be. Got it. Matt, I can uh, just keep going if you want to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you got to yeah, stop well, me. We, we, we should, we should, we'll get back to a, a listener question in a minute, but I just following up on the point you made about the individuality of sleep needs. A few weeks ago, we had uh, a gentleman on the podcast named Dean Karnazes, a very well-known ultramarathon runner. His first book, a memoir, was titled Ultramarathon Man and subtitled Confessions of an All-Night Runner. And if you read that book, you will learn that this guy just he just felt like he never needed much sleep at all like he was like a four to five hours person he had a full-time job at this point when he first got into it he's like you know what i'll just get up and run and he would he, he would run like 30 40 miles in the middle of the night and i, I when i read that i wondered like is, is this guy kidding himself <laughs> you know is he rationalizing something he just wants to do or, or are there actually people who are way over on that extreme and they truly only need four to five hours a night. Yeah, I'm going to try to answer that. Now, there's a very broad spectrum, you know, the bell curve that Dr. Schneeberg mentioned. And there probably are some people that function okay on four to five hours, but most people will not. You know, most people will not function very well on, on, on four to five hours. Now, the trouble with sleepiness is that when people are sleep deprived and have been sleep deprived chronically, they don't feel like they are sleep deprived. This has become their new normal. And they think everything is okay when we measure object what their reaction time is and their other performance tests that we can do. We then can tell that they're not functioning optimally because the nervous system, it's a very... It, it's like it tells us what's going on. And if your reaction time is poor, that tells us that you're simply not sleeping enough, even though you feel you're okay. Right on. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe Dean is one of these guys at that, that, that extreme end of the spectrum. It could, yeah. could be. They, they exist, he seems right? like it. Yeah. Yeah. In the They're best way. They're just rare. He was, he was just kind of bored. I mean, he would be lying in bed. He's like, I'm... I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, high-functioning high guy, right? He yep. may be fine, but I would not want him to be a pilot on any airplane that, I, <laughs> that, that I'm on. You know? Touche. <laughs> yeah. That is so fair. So we talked about device dependency with these sleep gadgets and, and what metrics we clearly can't look at any of them except for when you fell asleep when you woke up. But what is your take on any supplements to help people fall asleep? Is that kind of also a big no-no, like everything should be natural? And if not, what, what supplements do you recommend? I don't recommend any supplements. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, like I'm not... People are, are you talking about sleep or for what? Yeah, sleep, like melatonin, for example. No, what was no, the other one? If, 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 Magnesium. If, no, if you're healthy and don't have any medical problems, you don't really need a supplement. The only exception that I have seen in runners, for example, 
is that there's a phenomenon that's called runner's anemia. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it or you know about it, but people that have runner's anemia will sometimes lose iron and they may develop something called restless leg syndrome and they actually may need to take iron as a supplement. But that's about the only supplement I can think of for athletes where there may be something specific. In female athletes, in female athletes who have very heavy periods, they may have a very similar problem of, of having low iron. Low iron causes excessive movements in, in the extremities, and that may be a sleep problem for them. So those yes. are the two groups that I think we need to pay attention to. Easy plug for Inside Tracker. I got my blood drawn a few months ago, and yes, my iron was low, and that that was shown before too. It's a common problem in female athletes, unfortunately. But yeah. got it. Okay, cool. Matt, again, you stop me because I can just keep going. Yeah, I'd love to get another uh, listener question in. Ooh, let's do blue light. Is it really that bad for you? Linnell? <laughs> We don't love blue light. I think it's a little bit oversold, I have to say. But just my, my advice is turn on the blue light blocking aspect of your device from dinner time on. Put it away about an hour before bed. And then use just a regular old-fashioned book. Or I love a Kindle with that, just the paper white kind of Kindle. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a lot of blue light. And I do think it's really nice to get in bed with something that you can use to relax with, like a Kindle or something like that, until you get drowsy enough to drop off. Got it. All right. I'm going to go in for another one, another listener question here. When you up your training, so let's say runners and mileage for the week, should that affect how long you sleep? I would say no. I don't think it should affect the amount that you sleep. I mean, when you think about it, it really shouldn't. I think but the percentage of your deep sleep might increase a little bit, right? Just from the repair it, aspect? Possibly. Possibly. Yeah. Okay, so, well, this, this is... I, I have to say this because we talked about how the metrics don't add up, but I was talking to Matt before we recorded, and... I noticed when I was running more, my deep sleep improved, meaning the amount of deep sleep that I was getting increased as I was training harder. Wow. So Fitbit really sucked you in, eh? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I would like to say it's a Garmin, first of all. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But I thought that was interesting. And also, I just always sleep better when I'm training harder. And honestly, yeah. that's kind of why I like it because <laughs> I wake up and I just feel so yeah. much more so, refreshed. Yeah, so when you train and exercise earlier, not at bedtime, that's like the worst thing that you can do, except for certain activities, which we won't go into. But, <laughs> but, but that's something to bear in mind is that when you, ex- when you exercise, as you know, you release all sorts of chemicals and hormones. And, and so the levels of these things shoot up, they arouse your brain, and it takes them a while to decrease. And so it's not a great idea to, to really exercise right before bedtime. So I was sick with COVID for a month. I don't remember it affecting my, my sleep when I had the acute illness, but... Now I have long COVID. So I should say I've been a good sleeper my entire life. Like even in periods of very high stress, I would still, I could, I could still count on sleep. But then, so when I developed the, you know, the chronic, the long COVID thing, 
initially there was a phase when I slept like a zombie. Like it would get, it was like, like sit, like it was like a light switch going out. Like at 6 PM, I would eat my dinner and I would just like, boom. And then lit literally from one night to the next, it went 180 degrees. And you know, I said I'm a good sleeper, but you know, everyone has a night or two here and there when they don't sleep well. But the sort of insomnia I started to experience was just, it was like I had drank five cups of coffee, ridden a roller coaster, then been chased by a knife-wielding maniac, and then had like adrenaline injected straight into my bloodstream. Like sleep was completely out of the question. And yeah. it, it became it became an out, a full-blown crisis. Like it, it was like I was in real trouble. And, and I'm gonna go on a little bit of a rant here, but like, so I called my doctor and I, I'm like, I need help. And she's like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll give you, we'll, we'll give you like cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm like, are you kidding me? And she's like, well, you know, we we're worried about like a dependency. I'm like, nothing is worse than not sleeping. Like I, I would much rather be dependent on something for sleep than not sleeping. Like, and I've heard that before. I'm like, it's never made, I get it. Like you don't want to be, you don't want to have a crutch, but for crying out loud, like, like, which is worse, like never sleeping or being dependent on something to sleep? I think the answer should be obvious. Yeah, I mean, so the long COVID, people, whether they're athletes or not, by about even as long as a year after having COVID, people will have about 50 to 70% of them are going to have symptoms related to sleep. They're going to be, they're going to have insomnia, they're going to have fatigue. Or they may have hypersomnia, just as you described, being overly sleepy. And there isn't, and there are all these overlap syndromes. Some people, they have a problem with the way their breathing is controlled, and they may develop sleep apnea, and that may be the, the reason for their problem. We don't understand the fatigue business. There have been a lot of stories in the media of people who were tremendous athletes, they get COVID and all of a sudden they can't do anything. They're, you know, they're debilitated. We don't understand where all this is going yet. I think if we had this, this podcast a year from now, we will have a lot more answers. So COVID, it affects the brain. It affects the muscles. It affects the heart. And it affects it differently in different people. That's why it's such a a difficult thing and a lot you're right that a lot of people kind of dismiss long COVID cases i have seen several where the their sleep symptoms are so severe that they develop a fear of even thinking about going to sleep because they know they're not going to fall asleep and they're stuck in this vicious circle and so it it it, it can be very debilitating can yeah, I ask Matt, what, what finally happened for you? Did it get better in any way? Yeah, yeah eventually I was able to find another doctor um, who put me on, because I also had you know anxiety and like mood disturbances. And, right. and so she, she put me on a, a medicine called, you're, you're yeah. probably familiar with it, a mirtazapine, it's another yeah. name. And that did the trick. It was just you know a, a low dosage and it, it was like, uh, Problem solved, you know. I'm like, I, hey, I don't care if I'm dependent because I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm sleeping now. So I actually have tried to just uh, wean myself off it, and it's been no go uh, yeah. every time. So like, I'm just yeah, I'm just gonna it's, sooner or later, I'm sure that I'll get past it. But right now, I would you know, I'm just no. I hear exactly what you're saying, and what I would offer right now, I do CVTI for insomnia, and you're 
when you feel like your life is in a nice sort of even platform, you know, you feel like you've hit a plateau that's pretty good, your sleep's pretty good, that's when CBTI would be really useful to you. Right. Because you have okay. the rimmer on as the little safety net. And what someone would do, someone like me would work with you about your habits and your sleep schedule. They would teach you ways to quiet your mind at night if you weren't sleeping. Dr. Krieger just talked about what happens to a lot of people, which is, it goes back to Pavlov. When you've had a bad experience in your bed with sleep, then your bed gets associated with almost performance anxiety. And every athlete knows what that is. So you almost become you know, someone who has dread of the bed or performance anxiety about the bed, if you see where I'm going with that. Yep. And the Remeron took you to a new place and got you over the worst of it, which is great. And so a lot of times we'll, do, we'll leave the training wheels on, so to speak, We'll do the CBTI, and then we do a super slow taper of whatever uh-huh. med is working for you because if you do it too quickly, you will absolutely have rebound insomnia. We do it so slowly. The protocol that I use is 14 weeks or more to work oh, wow. you down. And all that time, you're working with someone, watching what your habits are and your sleep. You can learn sleep skills just like you can learn any kind of athletic skill. And that's a way that you might find a very helpful at some point. Yeah, that sounds quite reasonable. Cool. All right. Hey, I got something out of this. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Matt will be booking his first session with you after this. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, I would like to circle back to something Dr. Krieger spoke about, which is when you should work out. And you mentioned that before bedtime is a big no-no. I mean, you explained why, but is there an optimal time to do your workouts? Most, most athletes, for some reason, wake up very early in the morning to do their, their workouts. And, and I think, I don't know whether that is uh, a habit because they started to do their workouts when they were in high school and, and, and especially in college. There probably is an ideal time when, when you can work out. And it may vary a little bit with the kind of sport. And there is a lot of literature on looking at the circadian rhythm, how that changes for various things during the daytime. And there are, for normal people who are non-athletes, there are ideal times to be doing things. And we know the ideal times not to do things, which is right before that's like the worst time that you can work out. You know, the, the average person doesn't have a whole lot of option about when they're going to exercise. They, they have a job or they have kids and they need to do stuff and, and they tend to do whatever they're going to do in their spare time. Yeah, and I think a simple rule of thumb is three hours before bed, you would be finished with your workout, yeah. just as a really simple rule of thumb. Got it. And then another question about naps, too. We talked a little bit about this. I'm team no nap. I don't know. I've just never been able to nail it. So I'd love you to to convince me otherwise. But do naps hinder the quality of sleep at night? And if not, which we've discussed, I think the answer is no. How do we become most efficient with naps? And is there an optimal time to take a nap during the day? I have a couple thoughts on that. And then Dr. Krieger can weigh in. So if you're sort of a normal sleeper, like you sleep from maybe 10 or 11 to maybe 6 or 7 in the morning, right? Optimal time to nap is about six hours after your rise time. So somewhere noon to four range would be a typical time. If you nap too late, if you nap 
in the morning after you get up, that means you didn't get enough sleep usually. And if you nap after four, five, six o'clock in the evening, that's confusing for your body because your body's starting to try to figure out if that's part of your nighttime sleep and it might push mm-hmm. your bedtime. But if you can get a nap in, my again, rough rule of thumb, before four, around a half an hour, that's really nice. And some people can work out a way to do that even though they're working. You know, they could go to a little quiet space or, or whatever might work, number one. And number two, there's a second thing that's an option instead of a nap. And that's something that some people have coined non-sleep deep rest. And that's just having a period of time, about 20 minutes maybe, where you just go into a very deep state of relaxation in whatever way that you like. Could be meditation, lying down, could be the progressive muscle relaxation where you tighten your feet, relax your feet, tighten your legs, relax your legs, simple ways. There's yoga nidra, which means yoga sleep. It's not a yoga pose, it's a little form of yoga where you're resting and you're listening to a script to relax you. Many people find that almost as restorative as a nap. And there are a lot of people like you, Hannah, that are not nappers, but they want just a little bit of downtime. And so there's a bunch of ways to get that that are often really restorative. Yeah, I actually have found that even just laying down with my eyes closed, if I'm feeling a little bit tired in the afternoon or something like that, that that will really help. You know, not looking at my phone, just not really thinking about anything. Yeah. Yeah, I always looked at that as a failed nap, but you're you're (laughs) saying that's not the case. (laughs) No, that's a success for me. So, so Hannah, you said that you're a no-nap person. What that tells me is you're getting enough sleep at night. You won't fall asleep in the afternoon with a nap unless you're sleepy. You cannot sleep unless you are sleepy. Oh, uh, you know, unless you've taken a medication or something that's going to make you sleepy. So the fact that you're not, that you can't nap tells me that, and, and you don't feel anxious about your sleep, you don't have insomnia, tells me that you're normal. Yep. Great. Wow. Well, Hannah is not, not normal. She might be normal in that way, but I, I know I this say, woman very well. She is not normal. I was going to say, it's not often I have that adjective to describe me, so I really appreciate it. I'd like to shoehorn in uh, another one here. Like a, a lot of athletes, they'll do this thing where they, they you know, especially the, the, the two-a-day workout folks like I was before long COVID, where it's like, you know, that's a lot to fit in a, a day. So they'll they'll a lot of these folks will do a thing where they they get not quite enough sleep you know sunday to thursday and then they catch up on the weekends it's not like the pendulum's slinging wildly but it's definitely not quite enough during the week and then they catch up on the weekend and they would swear the people who do this that it works how do you respond my own feeling is not to change your rise time by more than a couple of hours at the most so I would never want a 6 a.m. person in the noon, right? That would be not good at all. But if you would just, a lot of people go to bed a little bit later on the weekend, get up a little bit later on, you know, go to bed a little bit later, get up a little bit later. Just don't swing it too far. Uh-huh. You know, two hours at the max in, in, is my rule of thumb. How about you? Right on. Well, I think what you said is bang on. You, you know, the, the people that try to hack everything about their sleep and their being wakefulness, it, 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 in the long run, it doesn't get them anywhere, right? Because they, they're always thinking about it. And, and sleep is like breathing, right? You don't think about breathing and you shouldn't be thinking about sleep, whether you're going to sleep or not. 
In other words, when you go to bed, you close your eyes and you should drift off. You shouldn't be thinking about, oh, I need to push myself into sleep. It should be automatic and don't try to hack it. You know, it'll happen. You're, you know, this is, humans have evolved and that's one of the things that we do pretty well, actually. There's, there's one other thing that I find that patients love it when I tell them this, it really relaxes them about their sleep and it's this concept. You get really four kinds of sleep, right? Light, for the sake of argument, I'm gonna call them simple names. Light, medium, deep, and dream sleep, which is also called REM sleep, right? And the normal numbers for a young, healthy person are about 5% light, 50% medium, 20-ish percent deep, and 20-ish percent REM. Now, here's the cool thing. If you're sleep deprived, your body starts to steal the light and the medium sleep away and put it into the deep sleep and dream sleep bucket, for lack of a better word. So your body does this really cool adjustment right away if you're sleep deprived. So there's not a huge need to do this massive catch up, so to speak, on the uh -huh. weekend. And changing your rise time too much is worse in my world than, than, you know, right? Your body's already sort of doing, Dr. Krieger said, your body knows what to do. That's the amazing thing about it, right? Athletes know how amazing their bodies are in a million ways. And that's one of the ways that it's amazing. That's fascinating. The two takeaways in my, again, in my opinion for sleep are a regular sleep schedule that's the right, right sized, for lack of a better word, right? The right amount allotted. And then having a way to quiet your mind, both as you're heading into sleep, right? As you're getting drowsy. And if you wake up in the night, runners tend to be really type A achievement oriented perfectionist kind of people. And that pays off really well in sports and life. But at night, you need to be able to shut that down, right? The other side of that coin is you might wake up in the night and start thinking about all the things you want to do with your training or your, your work, right? And so you need <laughs> a way to quiet your mind in the night as well. So I love, actually, if people have near the bed, just something simple to do both as they're falling asleep and if they wake up and they're awake for more than about 20 minutes. You know, if you really just start doing the download and you're awake too long, you might pick up the Kindle again. Right, or you might listen to an audiobook, or you might have something that your brain can pay attention to instead of that big download that happens for lots and lots of people in the middle of the night. Just simple. That's me. Simple. Yeah. <laughs> Every night before I go to bed. <laughs> yeah, so many people. Thank you both so much for your time. I could have chatted with you for so long. This is fascinating. And you said we'll have you on in a year and maybe we'll know more about COVID. We're probably going to know a lot more in like six months. Yeah. Well, six yeah. months. We'll yeah. call you back up. All right. Yeah, Matt's so crossing his studies. fingers. So many okay. studies in process right now. Okay. Bye-bye and good luck to Thank all you. of you. Thank bye -bye. you. Bye-bye. Thank you both. Thank you all so much. Just fact after fact in today's episode, that conversation was so fun. I definitely want to have both of them back on the podcast, maybe when we learn more about COVID or just if you guys have any follow-up questions, we had so many listener questions that we did not get to. So I think it would be fun to have them back on, especially as my knowledge grows and my sleep improves. Hopefully I'm crossing my fingers. I'm knocking on wood, all of the things. Since this is a solo outro, I really do want to do the what's your jam segment by myself, but it feels weird. So <laughs> if you normally skip this segment anyway, go ahead. Goodbye. Talk to you next week. But I'm going to do it still because I'm loyal to the segment. My jam this week 
oh, it feels so wrong. I wish Matt was here to be like, what's your jam? My jam this week is Masks, the live version by a band called The Brook and The Bluff. And I recently discovered them and they are the most wholesome sounding music. The way that I like to describe it is you're in a pickup truck in the summer and obviously it's warm out it's like the perfect temperature 73 degrees you have a slurpee you have an iced coffee you have any sort of beverage that just warms your soul warms your heart makes you feel good the window is down and you have a breeze on your face and you are breathing in the fresh air you hit play on the old ipod the iphone the radio and this song comes on and you're in a movie you're basically in a movie it is very different from my other jams and I think that this is the longest description I've had of my jam. So maybe Matt does need to be back on the outro. So I'm not just word vomiting everywhere, but enjoy the jam. Check out Inside Tracker in our show notes. Check out all of the things that we are working on at Age 20 Endurance. We get so many questions about our coaching certification and we truly are working our little buns off to get that done. And I cannot wait to share that with you. That is going to be huge. It's going to be very impactful. Check out our Coaches of Color initiative. We have an episode with Jessica, our first apprentice. All of the things. And please direct message me on Instagram if you have any questions about anything we're working on. I'd love to chat with you. It's one of my favorite things that I do here at 8020 Endurance. Talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. Bye.